This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters. For many people today, healthcare feels like we're behind enemy lines. The system is geared to take care of us, but why do we feel like we're in it alone? Everyday stories are a powerful way to shine light on the gaps that make it feel this way. I'd like to welcome you to Everyone Hates Healthcare, where we bring you real people's healthcare stories, unfiltered. And now your host, Michael Swartz. Hey everybody, Michael Swartz here, and I want to welcome you again to the podcast. Today, we have an incredible guest with us. As a 24-year-old Miss America contestant, Alan Rose made headlines across the globe with the controversial decision to undergo a preventative double mastectomy after losing her mother, grandmother, and great aunt to breast cancer. Alan's story inspired celebrities like Angelina Jolie and a new generation of women to take charge of their healthcare decision. Alan boldly became the first woman with a mastectomy to model for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. She's also the founder of The Provider, a nonprofit women's health platform that serves as a go-to resource for women as they navigate their breast health decisions. And she's also the creator of the social media movement, hashtag self-examgram, which encourages women to perform a monthly self-breast exam. Alan, welcome to the podcast. So excited to be talking to you. I'm very excited to chat with you, Michael, and uh, glad we finally got to do this. Yeah. Why don't we start off, and I'd love to hear about you, your story, and really, when did you find out about everything happening? So I would say that cancer was always part of my vocabulary, uh, even as a really young child. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time in her late 20s, which was prior to me being born. And so uh, from the day I came out, I, I knew my mom was a breast cancer survivor. Um, she only had one breast. She had had a unilateral mastectomy in her 20s. And it just was something that my parents never shied away from talking about. My mother had had breast cancer, my grandmother, my great aunt. They had unfortunately lost their lives, but my mom was a survivor. And so growing up with a mother who had battled breast cancer and beat it, I, I really had this perspective of that cancer was sort of in, in the background and, and not something that was going to directly affect my life. But uh, when I was 12, my mom was diagnosed again with a stage three invasive uh, breast cancer. And unfortunately, just after my 16th birthday, she passed away. And so after that happens, I realized, hey, uh, this is something that has taken almost every woman in my family and something that may affect my life. And my dad sat me down at 18 and brought up the idea of having this preventive mastectomy. And I was a really late bloomer. I just kind of developed into the body that I had. I, I looked at him like he was crazy and had three heads. And I said, why would I do that? And he looked me square in the eye and said, you're going to end up dead, 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 just like your mom. And I think he really needed to be that aggressive and forward with me. I was young. I thought that I was invincible. This could never 
never be something to impact me, or at least right now, you know, breast cancer was an old woman's disease, not something to impact my life at the moment. And my dad quickly reminded me that, you know, in her late twenties, my mom had a stage three breast cancer, something that had probably been developing for quite some time. She was a marathon runner uh, working on her second master's degree. I mean, lived in Hawaii, raw food diet, the whole deal. I mean, really had done everything to, to set herself up for success and, and cancer got her too. So it was something that I mulled over for, for a couple of years. And then I got to the point where, you know, I had hit 20, 21, 22, 23, uh, you know, 24. And, and that window was closing of between me and, you know, 27 when my mom was diagnosed. And I said, it's now or never, you know, I don't ever want to be in the position where I have to tell my, my future spouse or my future children that they're going to have to live the rest of their life without me because I didn't have this preventative surgery that could have saved my life. So that's what yeah, got me to the, the point of having my, my preventive surgery. So you said that you were thinking about this for a couple of years. Take us through, where did you go? What did you look for? Like, how did you get to that decision? Because I'm sure it was incredibly scary being so young. Absolutely. And I think being being a woman, I worked in the beauty industry at the time. I was a model. I was a pageant contestant. A lot of my my life at the time was centered on the way that I look. You know, this was how I paid my bills. And the idea of removing this very intimate part of my life, something that was really tied up in my femininity and how how I faced the world was it was scary. And I I spent a few years really putting it on the back burner, thinking I'll get around to it at some point. But the clock just kept ticking. And I had this really kind of incredible viral moment when I was Miss America contestant where I'd shared my story with a friend. She shared it with a friend. And before I knew it, it was, you know, the the trending topic of people.com. I was doing the Today Show, Good Morning America, Fox and Friends, you know, the whole media circuit. And it went around the world. It was 30 different countries, 300 million homes. And there I was, this young person talking about having a preventive surgery before I had cancer, before I was married, before I had children. And I think it really shocked a lot of people because no one was really talking about it then. This was prior to Angelina Jolie having her mastectomy. There's no no face to this sort of movement. And I got thrust into the spotlight, so to speak, to be the representative for preventive surgery before I'd even had it. It was a really sort of challenging time for me to have to quickly make the decision, okay, am I doing this and when? And I finally just, you know, put my head down and said, okay, now's the moment. And I mean, you had that platform, which was unbelievable for you to be talking about it and people hearing about it. I'm sure that during this time before you got it, were you just getting tons of questions, emails, were people reaching out, or did it take some time for that voice to build up? It was instant. So I, I can't even tell you, I, I shared this with a friend. Like I said, she shared it with a friend who happened to work in PR. And I woke up one day, I think with 18 missed calls and voicemails. And I turned on the computer on the trending topic on Yahoo, you know, uh, everywhere. It was just this unbelievable all over the place viral moment and instantly i was getting messages from people all over the world you know asking questions and then uh you had these great things people saying this is so inspiring uh this is motivating me you know i carry the breast cancer gene i'm at a heightened risk you know you're encouraging me to have the surgery but then i also had 
these horrible trolls on the internet telling me that I was mutilating my body. How dare I do something like this? My poor father got hate mail. I mean, creepy hate mail, the cut the little letters out of magazines and paste them together, serial killer sort of stuff saying, um, yeah, horrifying. Just why would you encourage your daughter to, to do this? She's, she's mutilating herself. And the funniest one was I had the Westboro Baptist Church uh, come after me saying that God was going to send me cancer for, for mutilating God's body or something. It was just a really, church? The Westboro Baptist Church. So they're, they're the real crazies who protested <laughs> uh, soldiers' funerals, and they're just terrible, terrible people. But I always say, you know, if the Westboro Baptist Church is attacking you, you're probably doing the right thing in your life. So. Yeah. <laughs> It was a really kind of wild time, but I think it it just ignited this greater conversation about women's uh, health care and about preventive medicine, which, you know, it seems crazy. This was back in 2012. It wasn't that long ago, but people just weren't talking about it then. Well, and I think having people talk about it for so long, we've all been just kind of taking a backseat. It was never about doing anything preventative. Uh, so yeah. you having that voice is... Unbelievable. And it's really like people were with you for the journey. Absolutely. So before it, during it, after it, and it's it's been really crazy to to have friends that I've made on the internet or in real life. You know, people came up to me at my gym, sort of things like that. And to have them with me from day one, you know, as I stepped foot into having my surgery, coming out of it, going through recovery, meeting my husband, uh, getting pregnant. I just had my daughter five months ago. And congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. And what's really nuts is to look back on those first interviews and, and I'm there talking about my future husband and my future children and wanting to be alive for them. And to now be able to look at them both and say, hey, I did this for you is That's is a really fulfilling sort of moment. So you get this voice and now people are hearing, you're talking about it. But take us through, how did you decide what doctor to go to? Like where to go? Like, how do you figure all this out? This is a great question because I think a lot of women struggle with this and rightly so because... Unfortunately, there are some pretty terrible physicians out there. And I am constantly bombarded with messages from women who send me photos and they are just butchered. I mean, doctors come in, they specialize in one thing. They tell these women, hey, this is what you're going to get. This is your only option. And it's just not what's right for their body and or their lifestyle or just really their choice. And I was very fortunate that I did the Katie Couric show. Uh, during this whole viral moment. And I met my breast surgeon. She was uh, one of the the other guest speakers on the Katie Couric show. And we really connected. So when I decided to have my surgery, I found out that she was a physician really down the street from me at Georgetown University Hospital. Her name's Dr. Lenny Tosimus. And she recommended me to my plastic surgeon. And initially she had sent me to one surgeon and I I just didn't get that warm, fuzzy feeling from him. So I put off my surgery for a little bit longer. And then by the time I was ready to really get into it, she said, that doctor is actually retired. Meet my colleague. I met him and we just hit it off right from this jump. And I knew that he was going to be the right person to help me do my breast reconstruction. And so from A to Z, I had this wonderful supportive team. I had my breast surgeon going to bat for me with my insurance company, demanding that they pay for the surgery. 
I had my plastic surgeon who was literally like driving to the the dock to get this new type of breast prosthesis so that I could have the best reconstruction possible. And I just feel very, very fortunate because not all women are that lucky. And that's actually why I started my nonprofit was to, to help women be able to advocate for themselves. That's amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about your not-for-profit. So you went through this experience. You were blessed to have that voice and that care team kind of develop around you. But tell us about what led you to create the nonprofit, what it is, a little bit about that. So I have this viral moment. And obviously, like every viral moment, there's a big peak and then it goes down. And then I was sort of in this this period of, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? I had this incredible voice. I have this platform now. I have all of these people listening, but that fire was over. You know, you're not constantly doing the talk shows. Um, and I wanted to be able to continue to contribute to this community. I didn't want to to tread on places that had already been walked. There are so many organizations out there doing great things. So I wanted to be able to fill a void. So as the years went by, what I realized was that women were constantly reaching out to me, asking me about my breast reconstruction. I had a really positive cosmetic outcome. I felt great about my body. And they would say, who was your surgeon? What type of surgery that did you have? And I mean, they'd get really down to the details. How many CCs were your breast implants? You know, did you have a, a, a breast implant? Did you have a tissue reconstruction? All these details. And I said, there's got to be something on the internet that I can direct these women to. There's got to be one place where they can learn about the options. So I started Googling. I felt like I got a PhD in Google and there was nothing. These women really had to go to the deep, depths of the internet to find all of these, all this information. And I said, this just can't be right. You know, tens of thousands of women have mastectomies every year and no one has created a place for them to learn about it. This is nuts to me. So with zero history in tech, no history in web design, I just took my, my husband's like 10 year old laptop, plunked down on my couch taught myself how to build a website, taught myself graphic design, and just built this digital platform for women to be able to come to access information in a really graphically pleasing, easily digestible, non-scary way. Because the last thing you want to do is Google the word mastectomy. All of these terrible things come up, bad surgical uh, options, bad results. It's just terrifying. And for a woman who's either facing a cancer diagnosis or is doing this as a preventative measure, it's the last thing they want to see. So the previra was kind of a safe place for them to go and just have the, the Wikipedia of mastectomy, so to speak, and to be able to go into their doctor and say, hey, this is the right choice for me. Google, Google is a scary place. I mean, even if it you just a have a cold, place. <laughs> you have a headache, you search for it, you think you're about to have to go to the ER because you're on your deathbed. So, exactly. So when did you launch the provider? So I launched the provider, gosh, it's crazy, October 2019. So not too long ago, but feels like forever ago. <laughs> so we're coming up on, I guess that would be our second uh, anniversary here. And it's just unbelievable how far it's grown. And I got to do Good Morning America, go on, you know, talk about my experience with Sports Illustrated and the previver and all of that. And it's just been it's wild, the impact that it's already been able to have in just a really short period of time. I'm, I'm sure the community just grows every day, if not every week. Me personally, before hearing from you, I did not know what 
provider was. And I'm sure that there are tons of people, tons of women out there that might not even know. Absolutely. And, and the word is something that people ask me all the time. What is a previvor? You know, and somebody who's, uh, they say, survived a genetic or family history predisposition to cancer. And so this is a, a term coined, you know, years ago by an organization named FORCE. And it's a really great term, I think, to be able to give to this community of women who are being proactive in, in their breasts and ovarian health. So, you know, a lot of women are finding out now and men too, that they carry the breast cancer gene mutation or a myriad of other gene mutations that can increase their likelihood of breast cancer. And so somebody finally was able to, to put a name on it and you know really create a community for these people to come to, learn about their options, and sort of, in a way, the, the costs and benefits, whether or not a preventive surgery or just lifestyle changes are right for them. It's amazing. And I saw that there's uh, not only blog posts and insights, but that you also offer different products and tools for people that are going through this. Yeah, that was very important for me. So having your surgery, you go into it. And I remember I was part of a Facebook uh, support group, essentially, for women who had had a mastectomy. And I was just digging deep into the depths of this group, looking at all the pictures, trying to find you know, what are the best products for going through surgery, recovering from surgery? What's the best bra? What's the, the bidet attachment I need on the toilet when I'm recovering from surgery? Um, when you have these surgical drains, what do you do with them when you're in the shower? So I just asked women in the community, what were the most useful products for you? And I just compiled them all into one place. It sends them off to Amazon or sends them to the store website so that they don't have to do the same labor that I did. I just wanted to make a really difficult surgery a little bit easier. That's awesome. I mean, it's everything all in one place. Just making it... I mean, I was on the site, the platform, and it's just so easy to use. What would you say, who should go to the site? Who should use it? I would say that anybody, number one, who is considering having a mastectomy. That's number one. So whether you are pre-viver like me, you are having a preventive surgery, if you have just recently been diagnosed with breast cancer and you have to have surgery, great place to go. If you're considering a revision, so let's say you had a mastectomy and you're not happy because the surgery either wasn't the right one for you, you didn't have a good option, it's also a place where you can go and uh, learn about uh, different tools and tricks and, and options for you. Next would be somebody who maybe has a family history of cancer and they're not sure if they carry a breast cancer gene mutation. They can go, they can learn about that. They can learn where to be tested, how to be tested. And more importantly, if they get a positive mutation, they know what to do. They're able to find information. They know the next steps. So it's not this full-on panic. Oh my God, I have a cancer mutation. It's the end of the world. It takes them kind of from A to Z, what your options are. And I'd also say people who are who are caretakers or friends or just want to support, there's gifts that people can get on there. We have a great little friend of the, the organization, 5.post, and they have all of these wonderful cards for doctors, for patients. And when you have a friend who's diagnosed with cancer or a family member, nobody knows what to say. Even if you've gone through it yourself, it's still this awkward sort of thing. And they're so great at creating these funny little cards that just take the edge off of 
you know, this really challenging time. So I say it's really for, for anyone who is impacted by breast cancer in any scenario, there's something for you there. That's awesome. That is so great for taking and using your platform, using your voice to really have people think about the preventative aspect. So in terms of preventative, what would you say based off of your experience, what would you say are steps that we can all take to make sure that we're staying on top of it? Number one, which is my big initiative going into October, is for people to learn how to do self-breast exams. And this is men and women alike. Men tend to think that breast cancer is something that won't ever affect them, but it's not true. More men than you think are diagnosed with cancer. And the same thing too, if men have a breast cancer gene mutation, they have a heightened risk of developing breast cancer in their life. So learning how to do it, it's really just as easy as getting to know the natural terrain of your chest. It's a couple steps. It takes five minutes, something you should do once a month. And what I learned over time is that because we call it a self-breast exam, people think it's supposed to be self-explanatory. And then when they don't know how to do it, they start to get really nervous. They put it off because, oh, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. What do I do if I find a lump or a bump? And for women who have breasts, you know, it's lumpy and bumpy in there. It's this crazy mountainous terrain, I would say. So it's, it's scary. And you think, oh God, is that normal? So if you start this at a young age and you take this really important self-care tool with you throughout your life, you know, okay, you know, at, at 12 o'clock, I've got this little bump in. At 5.30 over here on the clock, I got another one. Then you know if something is off because you've been doing this every month. Then when you get to a spot where you say, hmm, that doesn't feel like something that was there before, you know you can go see your doctor and you're catching it as early as possible. That's awesome. And where can people find exactly how to do it right? Because now I'm thinking about, I have never done one. And I want to make sure that I'm as healthy as possible. So your social media, I'm guessing? Yeah. So I have that on my personal page at Alan Rose. And for people who are listening, it's hard to spell. A-L-L-Y-N is my first name. They can go to my page on my IGTV, um, on my highlights, all of that. I have tons of different ones where I teach people, hey, it's quick and easy. It takes you just a couple of minutes. Something you can do in the shower, when you're laying in bed, when you're you know, Netflixing. Any time and place is a good place to do your self-breast exam. It's really super simple. It's, it's not rocket science, but once you know how to do it, and I put out these reminders every month, hey, make sure you're doing this. And there's really this great community of people on, on Instagram and all over social who are reminding people to do it through this hashtag, feel it on the first. There's an incredible advocate in the community, Nalia Augustin, and she started this feel it on the first movement to re- remind people every month, first of the month, make sure you do this. So you can also That's check it. out YouTube. I've got tutorials on there. So really all the platforms I'm, I'm trying to, to teach people how to do their exam. You might have a new hashtag, self-exam and chill. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so what else? Once a month, we should be doing a self-exam. Is there anything else that can prepare us and make sure that we're just on top of our health and doing everything possible. I mean, all the normal stuff, eat healthy, exercise regularly, but that's something that's not not specific to breast cancer. But for breast cancer, I would also say knowing your family history. And I know that's not possible for everybody. Some people are, are adopted or they've had their family members pass and they just really don't know the, the family history. Or you know, there are communities where women just simply don't talk about it. 
you know, it's kind of taboo to share your health history, but it's important if you can go to your parents, your aunts, your uncles, um, past generations and really say, hey, um, grandma passed away. What did she pass from? And if you're starting to see chain reaction there, you know, grandma had a breast cancer diagnosis, you know, Aunt Susie had a breast cancer diagnosis, um, these really first line family relatives, then you might want to think about being tested for gene mutation. And it's so easy now, you know, even just three, four years ago, it was much more difficult, but now you can get an at-home saliva test, you know, swab your mouth, send it off. They can give you this huge full panel genome test, letting you know all the things that you could potentially be a uh, you know, carrier for, or if you carry a mutation. So it's really democratizing that aspect of healthcare. So it, is it expensive or is it something that, let's say, I... Super affordable, super accessible. Yeah. So yeah, I want to say that you can get these tests now for under a hundred bucks. A lot of insurance companies will cover them, particularly if you have a family history. So if you find out that you've got one or two uh, first-line relatives who have breast cancer or ovarian cancer, it's worth giving a call to your insurance company saying, hey, I'd like to get this test. Uh, will you cover it? So that brings up an interesting thing that just pops in my mind. You said that your doctor was fighting with the or getting the insurance company to pay for it. How did that go? If somebody's thinking about uh, getting this uh, preventative um, vasectomy, how would somebody go about getting it covered by insurance? That is a great question. For me, I do not have a breast cancer gene mutation, which was actually kind of curious to me because I thought, hey, I have all these women in my family who've died of breast cancer. I definitely have something. So I went, I got tested, everything came back negative. I went to my doctor. I said, hey, I'm confused. You know, what's up? And she said, we can test for a lot of things, but we're not all geniuses. We can't test for everything. So science is consistently uh, improving. We're learning about new mutations. So you probably have something we just can't test for it yet. But based on this family history, I think that you can have your insurance cover the surgery. So initially we had sent it off to the insurance for free approval. They said no. So my doctor, she wrote a note to the insurance company said, this is medically necessary. This person will very likely be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime based on this family history. It is advantageous for you as her insurer to cover this. And they said, okay, no questions asked after that. And that's something that everybody can do. So that is something that I think everyone should have in their back pocket. If your insurance company is saying no, have your doctor go to bat for you. So important because I can't imagine how much it would cost if insurance doesn't cover it. You have any, any oh idea my God, what that I, could look like? I got a bill from the hospital for $250,000 for what? a half a day stay in a hospital in my surgery. So I cannot imagine what uh, it would have been like to have to choose between having the surgery or not, because there's no way I could have paid that kind of money to have a surgery. That's, that's unbelievable. So I think 90,000 of it was just the the hospital stay with no medicine, no surgery, no nothing, basically like the cost to stay in the, the hospital hotel, <laughs> $90,000. It was unreal. It's it's crazy. I've seen like pictures of like an ibuprofen costing like 20 bucks, 50 bucks, yeah. like one tablet. So uh -huh, 90,000. Uh -huh. So it's, it's unreal. And I would say too, if if you go to your doctor and your doctor is refusing to advocate for you with an insurance company, it's time to find a new doctor. I think that is great insight. I, I think you brought it up right at the beginning. 
is finding that right doctor. It's so important. Yeah, vitally important, not only for the practical sense of, you know, doctor going to bad for you, uh, being skillful, but if you feel as though your doctor has your best interests at heart, you are going to go into a surgery like this, which is already challenging with a much greater peace of mind. And I knew going in, had my doctor hold my hand and he told me, I'm going to do everything that I can to to make you look good, make you feel good, and make sure that you're healthy when you wake up from the surgery. And I had this great team, a woman and a male doctor, and they both worked really beautifully in tandem. And I felt perfectly confident that they were going to do everything that they could. And that is a, a great peace of mind. Yeah, I think it's it's a big decision, a scary decision. So trusting and it's going to make that process much easier. Yeah. I mean, I hear these horror stories, like I told you before, with these doctors who just say, hey, look, this is what I do. This is what you get. Sorry. And it's just very, very sad that people are faced with that option. Or you have these horror stories where a woman would say, you know what? I actually don't want to have a breast reconstruction. I just want to go flat. I want to have the mastectomy. I want to remove the breast tissue. I don't want to have to worry about it. You know, maybe they say I'm a little bit older or I've had kids or, you know, I just don't want it. And women would wake up from surgery and the doctor would have given them breast implants and said, oh, you're, you're going to regret it down the road if you don't reconstruct. So I just went ahead and threw some implants in there for you. So you would not believe like practice a hundred percent, but it, <laughs> there are too many stories to count out there of doctors who have done this to women and it's mind blowing. So you want to make sure that you have the right physician who realizes that your choice is the most important thing. And that kind of brings up something that I saw with what you've built at Provider. You've really built a community and having a place that people can tell their story and stories resonate with people. So I think what you're doing there is so important, even for people who are just interested in learning more, hearing the stories, seeing the stories. I really appreciate it. Uh, that community that you're building. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I, I realized that at one point, you know, you're you're out there sharing your story and I'm talking about my experience and my reconstruction. And I just realized like my story doesn't resonate with everybody. Not everyone looks like me, not everyone likes me. <laughs> and there's so many different types of people who are having the surgery, whether it is, you know, um what a scar or a different type of redness or a rash or whatever on darker skin tones is not what it's going to look like on mine. So I want to make sure that we have women of all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds. You know, women who are, let's say, Ashkenazi Jew, they have much greater risk of developing triple negative breast cancer. That's not the case for a, a white Caucasian woman. You know, somebody in the African American community have a heightened risk of a different type of cancer. So I wanted to make sure that I was elevating the voices of all of these different types of women so that if somebody comes to the website, they're bopping around, they go to our blog, they see somebody that represents them because representation matters. And if you see somebody that looks like you, that story is going to resonate with you and give you a peace of mind. And I knew that firsthand. Uh, I talked to you about this uh, Facebook support group that I was in. There was one woman who was a little bit younger, pretty fit, had the same sort of build as me. And she had created these, these videos after her surgery to show exactly what she looked like, what an implant reconstruction was. And I just was able to take a deep breath and say, okay, like 
I can look normal after this. And I wanted this website to be able to do that for women. And I think it does. Uh, just me going on, love what you're doing. You've brought in other partners. There's some great companies uh, that I saw that you work with. But I, I think it's definitely that community and hearing the stories of other people. I mean, it's what we're doing here is people have a story and that story resonates with somebody. And I think you're doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad that you have this platform where you're sharing as well. I mean, it's hard to get all the information in one, one succinct place, but to be able to come and hear get the stories of all of these different types of people is, um, you know, it's very, it's very useful and it's inspiring. And so I, I appreciate what you're doing as well. Thank you. So one last question. Um, I was on your Instagram and the first thing it says is your best friend. Tell mm-hmm. us where, where, where did that come from? Because I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. It was so fitting. I can't tell you. I mean, it was probably just something I'm a lover of puns. So <laughs> A good pun just really does it for me. So I think one day I just was kind of bopping around and I was like, you know what? I I want to be a breast friend to people. And there's an amazing group out there called the Breasties, which is um, an organization that brings together women on these wellness retreats for women who are facing breast uh, or gynecological cancers. And it's this really amazing community of women and something that I didn't have when I went through this surgery, which sounds crazy. I had my surgery in 2015. But back then, there just wasn't organizations like that. And so I'm so grateful that people have created groups where everybody can have a breast friend. And so I'm glad to be a breast friend to some people. But again, like I said, my story isn't always going to connect with people. So I want to make sure that that I'm highlighting voices so that everybody feels like they're represented. It's uh, very inspiring. So how can people follow you if they uh, want to find you? If you could tell the listeners, where where can they keep up to date on what you're doing. So I uh, am social media crazy, always on. So they can follow me on pretty much any platform, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. All they got to do is search for for Alan Rose. I'm there for the Previver. Everything is at the Previver. And I always tell people, please reach out to me. Please send me questions. I read everything. I respond to everything. Might not be immediate, but I will get to it. So for anybody who's on on the fence out there, just has questions or really wants to know the nitty gritty of anything, I'm an open book. So I'm here to be their best friend too. Well, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time. Your story is incredible, empowering, and, and uh, hopefully people now have a resource if they need one. I really appreciate you saying that. And, and thanks for having me on and letting me uh, chat and feel like a, a normal person again, postpartum. Everything's baby, baby, baby these days. So it's nice <laughs> to be able to talk sans baby and just chat a little bit. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Anytime. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Everyone Hates Healthcare. If you have a healthcare story, we want to hear it. All you got to do is shoot me an email with my healthcare story in the subject line to my story at healthkarma.org. Also, check out all the episode notes, resources, and more ways you can take control of your healthcare. All you got to do is just visit healthkarma.org slash podcast. While you're on there, help us out. Don't forget to drop us a rating, a review, and share it with all your family and friends. Can't wait to see you next week.
This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.